So today is, uh, actually it's 1.28 p.m. on 1.28. How funny is that? Today is January 28th, 2014, and today is uh, uh, very exciting. Today is the day that I finally got my license. I've been waiting since, um, it's been at least the tail end of October, so it's been over 90 days since I discovered that my driver's license was expired. And as I went to try to get a new one, God um, asked me to sit still and waited for me to be have the money provided by Him in order to do it. And it looked foolish. It looked completely stupid. It drove my parents crazy. But I stayed put and waited for the Lord. And God held back all the resources. I did not, for the first time in my 40 years of living on the planet that I can remember... I did not receive a dollar for Christmas. First time ever. And so even any money I would have gotten, I only needed $28. So in over three months, I've not received a single dollar of income to help me in any way. I think my stepfather gave me a $20 bill one time for something. But um, I was not allowed to take money from anybody that knew of my situation. And so God literally stopped all of my plans, got me to sit completely still, had an incredible plan for wanting me to be completely isolated. I had no cell phone. I've been in this house for 90 days, unable to go anywhere I want when I want. It's been like literally being stuck in a prison. I get to go out and do my walks every day. And then my friend Chris has been getting me almost every day for about two hours for coffee to get me out of the house, which has been wonderful, and he and I have been able to really pour into each other, but this season is over. Um, I've been patiently waiting. I've had people offer me the money, and I've always had to say I can't take it from anybody that knows my situation. God is telling me not to put my hope and trust in men and not to try to work a deliverance for myself. So I just kept waiting, and I'm sure God had several reasons for it, but the main reason that God had me sit still so isolated is so that I could have this intense season of learning and training. It's been intense. It's been unbelievable. It's been eight to ten hours, sometimes a day, of learning and unlearning. Michael Commentary. I want to point out that this was a time of intentional quarantine, if you will. And you can see how God is Romans 8.28ing this. It was about 90 days that I had been put up. And here I'm testifying to the fact that it was very useful and I was doing 8 to 10 hours of study, which I believe wouldn't have been possible if I still had my normal freedoms and could come and go and be social as I typically was previous to this. So here we see God isolating me for a wonderful, wonderful purpose. Well, this is going to happen again in my life. And I've read about this happening in multitudes of Christians' lives in Christian history. Probably the most memorable one I can think of is Martin Luther in the year 1521 when he would not recant his Protestantism against the Catholic Church. I believe it was called the Diet of Worms that he was uh, to appear before this council. And so when he would not recant, he had to go into hiding and he was essentially stolen away by a group of people who hid him in this castle called Wartburg Castle for about 10 months. And while he was in there, he produced the first ever German translation of the Bible from the Greek. And so this 
has always reminded me of what God is going to do when he isolates me for a second time in the future in 2014. Not but about nine months away from where we're at in the recordings now. I'm going to end up being homeless for four months, 120 days. And while I'm in that homeless period, I write the entire first edition of the John 717 Challenge. It is absolutely incredible for me to look back. And as soon as I finished, God got me out. So many times God will isolate his workers and he has very good reasons for it. And I'm so thankful for the times that God has isolated me. End of commentary. And God has used this to literally shake my entire faith and all the foundations of the doctrines that I have believed and understood to be true to help build me up into a more mature, stronger, knowledgeable faith in Him. It's been incredible. Um, I've left my church as a result of this. I have a much stronger understanding of the gospel. I now understand how to discern uh, false teaching from from true teaching, false teachers, uh, the watered-down gospel from the true gospel, and I understand how important it is. It's, it's, it's critical. This may not sound like a big thing. It's gigantic. There's nothing more important than the entire foundation of eternity for a man to stand on, which is the true and correct gospel of Jesus Christ, which is rarely being preached in churches today. So God has had a really good reason for this. And on Sunday, uh, having left my church weeks ago, this past Sunday was my first Sunday in a new church, completely unsolicited. I received a $100 donation from the pastor's mom, who's been a follower of mine on my website. So excited. I got my driver's license. I went in today, and um, I got it. And as God would have it, he connected me to a particular driver's license lady who had just gone through something really terrible yesterday. And when she said, I don't look 40, I used an opportunity to witness and said, I am um, I'm actually 40 years old. I said, I just look young because of all the prayer walking I do. And she made mention that she too has been doing some prayer walks. She said she had just gone yesterday, and as it turns out, they had just suffered a fire from the neighbor's chimney being swept out, and they put some hot ashes out in the yard. They, the wind caught them, blew them around, caught their whole... This is part two of that last message. Just wanted to finish wrapping up. I was talking about this lady's neighbor, the lady who was helping me with my driver's license. Her name was Jennifer. Her neighbor's yard caught on fire yesterday, burned down four acres, and including their backyard was burnt. And she was so thankful to God that nobody got hurt. And she went out today and had her prayer walk, and I was talking to her about some things. And then she opened up to me and said that they were having a serious issue in the family with her mom having passed away 10 years ago, and the brother, her brother, didn't do what was right in honoring the will, and now they're fighting over it in court. They have court in March, and there's been a terrible upheaval in the family as a result of this. Bad things and slander are being put out on the internet, on Facebook, about his mom, her mom, and she's just been so devastated. So here it is again, God connecting me to somebody who's going through a lawsuit just like Mary, where the number one thing that is needed is forgiveness. So I spoke to this woman about forgiveness, and I actually even prayed with her at her table. I mean, at her thing, I I prayed for her while um, she was doing my driver's license, and it was just amazing. I felt so good. I was like, wow, 
I'm just so humbled to be getting my license and now God is back using me again now that I'm able to get back out. The first person I'm able to see after having been trapped in this house for 90 days, God is using me to encourage them. And I just, that was just so awesome. So awesome. And um, I said, well, I said, Jennifer, I'm going to give you this card and you got to promise me you'll watch this story. And I gave her my card to my story and she looked at it and she was just like, wow, you know, and she I can't wait to go. And I just, she started asking me questions and I said, look, I can't tell you much. I just only can tell you, you've got to watch this. It has to do with courts. And she was talking about, you know, she's afraid the judge isn't going to do the right thing because they don't always do. And I said, trust me, you need to watch this story. God is faithful. And even if an earthly court can't bring you justice, he can. So you go watch this story. She was so excited. When she finished my driver's license, she got up from behind her table. In front of there's people everywhere. She got up and she goes, I got to have a hug. She says, you just blessed me so much. So I gave her a big old hug at the DMV, man, of all places. This was so cool. And she's like, I can't wait to... to..." She took my phone number down, wants to call me and let me know she watched the story. And it was just... It was awesome. So awesome. And uh, so... Now I have my license, and um, God is good, and He's already shown me how faithful He is, and I'm just, I'm really excited. God's been showing me over the last couple of um, weeks, these numbers all ending in 5-5, five, five, and they almost all point to this idea that God is going to prove Himself faithful, and that I will be shouting His faithfulness and declaring that His promises are true. So I'm really excited. I believe you know, good things are happening right around the corner, and uh, just wanted to capture all this. Okay, so today is January 29th, and it has been nearly 90 days. It's nine days short of 90 days since I have driven an automobile. I have not driven a car since November 8th. I have been stuck at my house and at the um, mercy of whoever, pretty much my friend Chris or my parents to take me anywhere. And so I've pretty much just stayed at the house, and now I've, I'm actually pulling out on the highway for the very first time. And, uh, you know, I have to tell you, it's, it's overrated. Um, it's great to be able to go back out there, but I, I am so blessed to have had this experience where God allowed me to, to feel what it's like having had my cell phone, you know, taken away basically from, you know, not being able to pay and then not having my driver's license, not having any money. I learned contentment no matter what, that I'm able to be content. Um, and God has been so faithful to me to be everything to me that he was to Paul. You know, learning the secret of being content, whether with little or plenty. And I've now proven, God has proven to me, and my faith has been tested in a way that I never dreamed it would have been tested. I never thought there'd be a period in my life where I wouldn't be able to drive for 90 days and not because of some physical issue but simply because I'm obeying God and instead of trying to work a deliverance for myself or manipulate or make things happen I had to trust that the Lord would provide finances through somebody that did not know my situation so that it could not be manipulation whatsoever and on Sunday this past Sunday first time at my new church get a hundred dollar donation got my license yesterday God did an amazing thing introducing me to Jennifer, the lady who processed my driver's license, and God wanted us to meet so that I could pray for her and she could be encouraged uh, by my story that she's going to watch. 
as she goes through a very difficult legal battle in her own family and desperately needs to see that the Lord is faithful and that she can do the right thing and forgive her family and trust God to bring justice. So now I'm back out on the road and um, it's good to have my freedom back. But again, I'm, I've I've had my license now for, uh, well, I had it, I could have gotten it on Monday and I didn't. I just got it yesterday morning and I didn't go anywhere yesterday and today the day is almost gone. So, but a um, little bit overrated, but uh, that's just because I'm so content with my father. Love him so much and so thankful for all the things he's doing and directing my steps and well, once again, you see Romans 8, 28, that God works all things for the good to those who are the called according to his purpose. And um, so I'm very thankful for that. And I've been seeing 919 a lot the last couple of days. I think three times yesterday and the speedometer right now is, uh, or the odometer is 91,959. That's 919. So not real sure. I saw it today as well on my computer and not real sure what the Lord is trying to tell me about, warn me about, but it would seem that he's wanting me to stay put as if maybe I'm going to get some sort of a an offer or something that uh, he maybe wants me to stay put on. So we'll see. We'll see what that's all about. In the meantime, I'm just enjoying this amazing contentment. I'm actually a little leery of going back out to my old offices, Starbucks and stuff, just because, you know, people, uh, distractions from women, uh, you know, may run into just that Egyptian lady and just, I guess, you know, women in general and then people that know me and want to talk and I kind of want to stay focused on my work. But at the same time, you know, first time I went out yesterday anywhere, uh, God decided to use me and I'm so thankful for that. I was so blessed to I've had that meeting with Jennifer at the driver's license place and so I will just trust God to use me as he sees fit and squeeze it in in the middle of the work that he wants me to do I'm gonna be finishing up today on getting some notes I've been making on this book I've been reading called the gospel according to Jesus and getting these notes transferred from handwritten paper to my computer and then I got my men's Bible study tonight so we're going to finish up the last video we're going to watch from the Strange Fire Conference and then get back into the teachings of Jesus. But uh, anyhow, that's the update. It's all good. It's 11.08 on January 30th, 2014. And this is just a quick message to point out that I have been seeing 919 like crazy the last couple of days. I mean... I've already seen it twice today, and it's only 11.10 in the morning. I saw it on my clock this morning on my phone as I was working, and then um, get in the car, and obviously my odometer's still on 91,978. I've just been seeing it so much, and I realize that the Lord is, is obviously wanting me to pay attention. And I've been wondering, you know, what could it possibly be um, that He's shown it to me so much for? And at first I thought, you know, does it have something to do with me finding a new church? Is he telling me to hold tight on, you know, going to a new church, you know, right now? Uh, not Obviously, he, he's told me to leave the rock, but am I not picking the right church? And I, I've been wondering, but there's nothing that seems to fit with that. On the contrary, it seems that God is confirming that I'm in exactly the right place. 
Um, I wouldn't be driving this automobile that I'm driving right now and got my license had I not gone to the church that I went to and received an, a unanimous, uh, unsolicited donation my first time at the church. That was just incredible. And so this morning I've, uh, I'm going to meet with Tom and I wondered, you know, he reached out to me a couple of days ago. I'm wondering if maybe, you know, is he going to like offer me a job or something? Because it, a 919 almost always has to do with my work. It either has to do with work or don't do something that I'm getting ready to do. Like anytime I was getting close to contacting Laura, I would get shut down and see a 919. And so I, I really care about this guy, Tom. I respect him an awful lot. Obviously, I have a tremendous need financially. And so I'm just wondering if the Lord isn't maybe um, really just kind of building up a buffer of, hey, stay put, stay put. And that, you know, for all I know, John, uh, Tom or... I don't know, maybe somebody else is going to offer me some kind of work or a job or something. But God, when it shows up, I think it's going to be obvious because for me to see 919 this many times is, and I'm not, I'm not doing anything currently that I'm aware of that would tell me to stay put. I'm not moving on anything. So this is going to be more likely to be one of those warnings where he would. He does it on both sides of it. He warns me in advance, and then the event happens, and then he sandwiches on the other side to confirm this is what he didn't want me to do or didn't want me to move on. So, I don't know. We'll see, but it's definitely very interesting. Michael Commentary. In this next clip, you're going to hear me mention a meeting I had with a gentleman named Tom. Now, Tom was an elder in the church that I had left, and he had been there for many years. Tom and I had actually met uh, in the church, and I started going to his men's group. He had a men's Bible study, and that's how I met him. And he decided he wanted to meet with me, and I met with this guy, and I really just fell in love with him. Just an adorable, adorable man, and was always busy trying to help other people, hardworking guy, kind of a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. And I really just adored him, and I think he adored me. Ultimately, the situation with the church, he's going to be kind of somewhat caught in the middle because I'm taking a stand against the pastor that he is underneath in leadership. And so it becomes a little complicated. I won't give it all away, but at this time, that's who this person is. And I was going to try to maintain a relationship with him even after we uh, left the church. So that's kind of what this meeting is about is to find out, okay, you know, my mom's been running around telling the pastor and leaders that, hey, listen, Mike's got some mental illness. And so, um, you know, he's going to want to meet with me on a friendship level to find out, you know, kind of what my side of the story is, which I really respected him for. Uh, you'll hear him mention two things. He's afraid I'm going to go to an extreme of judging others. And then, and then he's concerned about me being isolated. Well, as you can see, God had a very good reason for isolating I have collected over the years many of the writings of men and women whom God isolated for the very purposes of teaching them how to hear Him and know Him above all their voices in their life. And this isolation was to build up a ministry in my life that one day God was going to use to touch tens of thousands of people around the world, hundreds of thousands in some instances through my videos. And so now things make sense. At this time, in very humble circumstances, People are still doubting and questioning, am I on the right track? Is this, you know, healthy decisions I'm making? Am I being deceived of Satan? Now, the judgmentalness was a legitimate fear because I was going to be very outspoken. The Bible says the spiritual man makes judgment about all things. 
When Jesus says, do not judge lest you be judged, the context is hypocritical judging. So that if I want to talk to you about your anger, but you, you recognize that I have an anger issue, or if I want to talk to you about poor stewardship with your money and overspending money or your love for material things, I better not be doing so when I have that same problem in my life. If I want to talk to you about sexual addiction, pornography, celibacy, anything like that, I better not be talking to you and looking down on you and judging you if I have those sins in my life. And so that's what Jesus is talking about because the context goes on to say, first, remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Well, Brother A.W. Tozer spoke a word that best describes why I ended up leaving. And he says, when the wise sheep sees all the other sheep going off the cliff, he disaffiliates in order to save his own neck. And that's exactly what I did. Once I saw that people were not willing to hear a message of holiness, once I saw that people were not willing to take the call to sanctification seriously, the call to faithfulness to word, words of God seriously, then I began to disaffiliate in order to save myself because I saw a bunch of sheep that were headed to go off the cliff. And in unity around a lie or around half-heartedness is not unity. Unity around disobedience, unity around a lack of holiness, unity around a lack of sanctification is not unity by the Spirit of God. So I had no choice but to once I recognized this problem through prayer to disaffiliate. And God was going to show me 11.11 when I was praying about this church, which of you fathers, if his son asks for a fish, would give him a snake? So God was showing me what everybody else called so great, God was calling a snake. Now, I have to say this with all due respect. Six years later, I've been proven right. I couldn't prove myself right in this moment because God had not yet vindicated me. But now, I can sit here and say something to you that I do not say lightly. I do not say what I'm getting ready to say lightly. And I say this with great reverential fear and respect before the Lord and before you, brothers and sisters, to make this point that I can say with great confidence in the seven years that I've been serving people full-time and making personal recordings for people that nobody on YouTube has ever heard with the exception of dozens here and there, thousands of recordings, thousands of returned emails to people, that God has produced greater fruit and more life change through this one life that is totally yielded to him, then I would venture to say that that entire church with its multiple locations and 5,000 people at its central campus and its two decades of being in service, more fruit in this one life in seven years than that entire church has done in two decades. I say that very, very carefully. I'm not speaking this to be dramatic. I'm not speaking this to look down upon. I'm speaking this to make a point that when you fully yield yourself to God and God and you are the majority, you will see an abundance of fruitfulness. You will see God do mighty things that most people can't imagine. I mean, think about it. The greatest revivals that have ever happened all started with one man, not a church, not a group. It was always one man who came to town. That's how revivals have gotten started. And when I look at what God has done in my life, and you're going to hear how this minister is going to stand against me and say some pretty unchristlike things to my mother about me at one point. And I just, 
kept on going. I never argued with anybody. I just said, Lord, I'm going to do this with you. I'm going to grab a hold of you and I'm, I'm putting all of my cards in your basket. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. I could literally look this pastor in the face now all these years later who is incidentally going to tell my mother I'm not only wrong, I'm dead wrong. I'll let the cat out of the bag on that about my assessment about what's going on in this church. I could look him in the eyes as a fool back then who people were saying was mentally ill. I could produce more evidence of more fruit in seven years than that entire church could in 20 years of its existence. I have no doubt in my mind there have been thousands, thousands. In fact, I still receive emails to this day from people who have been following for five, six, seven years and who never emailed me before. I'm not saying this to boast in me. My boast is in the Lord. You got to remember, I'm the same humble, needy guy today as I was then. I'm the same fool for Christ today as I was then. But no one who trusts in the living God will ever be put to shame. No one who trusts in God will ever be put to shame. You cannot be a fool. Do you realize how amazing this is? Now watch this. This church has spent untold millions of dollars in facilities and equipment and salaries and all that kind of stuff. What kind of return and investment are they getting out of that church compared to what God is getting out of this little worm of a man? Now listen, I'm going to disclose something to you personal to make this point. I want to drive this in the ground. Okay, I would venture to say that that church probably receives millions of dollars a year, you know, from all of its various functions and book sales and tithing and all that kind of stuff. Millions of dollars a year to support this facility, right? I mean, these big churches, they have light bills that are 9, 10, 11, 12, 15,000 a month. So you have to make a massive amount of money to sustain these things, okay? This is not what the church of Jesus Christ is. Let me just stand on this nail and drive it in deep into this wood. That 5,000-person church, you don't find that anywhere in the book of Acts. You find people meeting in their homes. There is no such thing as this man-made infrastructure with all these programs and the lights and the entertainment and the hoopla and a one-man band pastor sermon show every Sunday morning at you know 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and we'll see you back at 6. This did not exist. This is not what the church is. This is man's counterfeit version of church. And here's the greatest evidence that I can tell you how God is not pleased and why God called that outfit a snake. When I started saying, God, help me understand this. Watch this. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, look at what God has done through me with no salary, no job, no employees. I've done all of this on my own. I have not had anybody to help me with the exception of Gustavo Hernando who helped me build the website, but I maintain it. I do all my own recordings. I do all my own editing, all my own writing, all my own posting, all my own videos, all my own descriptions, keywords, translations, writing of the books, getting the books printed, designing the shirt, getting the shirt printed. Everything has been done by me. God has not been pleased to give me any kind of help. My wife didn't help me. Now, Tyler has just shown up and started helping me with some recordings, but even that's been kind of seasonal. He's going to end up having to move on and get into a job and stuff like that. But I have done all this work by myself. Now, watch this. I've had very, very little needs. I want you to think about the amount of money that God has had to give me, the amount of money that it's taken for me to produce the kind of fruit that God has produced through this ministry. Look at the return on investment. I have no doubt. These are not my opinions. I can literally produce 
thousands of emails. That church cannot produce thousands of emails. They have 5,000 people sitting in there. And when I was going to that church, all of the people that I got close enough to were living in sin. At one time, they had a section of homosexuals sitting in the front in the church, knowingly allowing them to continue in that lifestyle in the church. This does not exist in the Bible. This is a false counterfeit. I'm told they fixed that situation. But here's the thing that I want to make the point of. Millions of dollars spent so that people can come and sit a 45-minute message once a week. Millions of dollars spent. Oh, yeah, there's a place where they hand out food and they do all this, hand out the bottled waters, and they have some school programs, and they've got a lot of other good things going on that help, okay, that they've added in the last few years that help other people. No doubt about it. Otherwise, they should be ashamed of having a facility that big with that much money coming spent. But holiness, righteousness, obedience, lives that truly take up the cross, lives that are not looking for glory for themselves, lives that are willing to take the back seat, lives that are willing to set down their will and do the will of God alone, lives that are true, cross-carrying, God-fearing, God-loving, faithful lives where people are learning to hear from the, the, the living God and walk with the living God and receive real living, breathing relationship with him. Thousands, brothers and sisters, I've received. You can't find that in any one of these churches around the United States in these mega churches. You cannot find it. Let me just tell you something. When you see a church that has 5,000 people in it, in any area, unless it was perhaps in New York where there's 20 million people on an island, you can almost 90, I would say 99% guarantee God is not pleased with what's going on in there and there is not true Christians sitting in there. If there is, they haven't yet woken up enough to get out of there because there are not that many true Christians in that small of a space anywhere in the world except for perhaps in places like China. In the United States of America, you cannot find in a small city 5,000 on fire, sold out, devout followers, freed of the world, freed of self, overcoming Satan, Christians, and put them all in a building once a week and then say, wow, we have so many of these, we need to start putting about satellite locations. Okay, so look, here's back to my point. 11 million views on the YouTube website, over 50,000 emails received at best count a year ago during the first six years of the ministry. I've stopped kind of even trying to count, so it's more than that now. Thousands of testimonies. I thought I was a Christian and now I see the truth, Michael. Do you know how much money Michael Criswell earned? Now I want you to bear this in mind. I am the only income earner in this family. Persis does not work outside of this house. I have a, now have a son who's been living with me who does not yet work outside of the house. I have four other children and an ex-wife that I have to send money to every single month. So with my little income, eight people are being taken care of. By the income that I earn from serving the Lord full-time without a salary, without asking anybody for money, God occasionally moves on people's hearts to send a donation. And I also have my book sales, uh, the people that buy a hard copy of the John seven seventeen challenge. Last year, I earned, in the year of 2019, less than $50,000. That's how much money it takes. I drive a 15-year-old car with 127,000 miles on it. I do not have any car payments. 
I do not have any borrowed money. I do not have any debts. I do not have any loans. I do not have any credit cards. I don't have any jet ski payments. I don't have boat payments. I don't even have a house payment. I spent a year building my own house till eight, nine o'clock at night, all day long, building my own house so that I can keep my expenses low. I don't buy things. I have no toys. I have a skateboard that I can go riding out with my son on because he loves to go riding his bike and we have to have something to do to get outside of this little tiny house. I don't have any toys. I don't buy myself any money, any uh, spend money on any of these kind of things. And look at what little money I live on in supporting all these other people. My wife, my son, my four children, and obviously some to my ex-wife every single month. And yet tens of thousands of people around the world are being touched through this ministry. Please do not hear me as boasting in myself. I am boasting in the Lord that you cannot trust God and ever be made a fool if you will endure your cross. And I say this as a shame to these so-called churches. You know, I say this as a shame to the Rock Church in Huntsville, Alabama, pastored by Rusty Nelson who when I confronted the church in an email to say, Pastor, I'm very disappointed about seeing this. You read, you heard the email I sent. I never received even a, the courtesy of an email reply from that pastor. You shall recognize a tree by its fruit. This guy was supposed to be a Christian his whole life, grew up in, in a lineage of ministers and pastors, and so he should have been a lot farther down the road than I was. He's much older than I am. He would have had a lot more wisdom. He'd been walking with the Lord a lot longer. He should have had a lot more wisdom, a lot more godly character, a lot more holiness, a lot more sanctification than somebody like me. Do you see the point? And I'm the one that had to go in and say, Pastor, you got people having seances in here. Pastor, you got people who think that in your, quote, leadership group that are sitting down with me and saying, Mike, I'm an open book to you. You can speak into my life and telling me they have built an altar of unforgiveness in their heart against their own wife and they're unwilling to take it down. And it's been there for five years. And you think this person is groomable for leadership? Seriously, something is wrong. Now, I didn't say it to him like that, but I made it very clear. I saw a drastic separation from faith and faithfulness in this church. And I was told by my mother that when my mom confronted him, that he said, Michael is not only wrong, he's dead wrong. I would ask you, brother and sister, those of you who've been blessed and have seen the rivers of living water coming from this ministry that was willing to suffer. Incidentally, this pastor admits he's never suffered. He's never gone through brokenness. He's never experienced loss. Isn't it true that when you read the greatest books that have ever been written, you always hear that God can never use a man until he conquers him and that those who have suffered the most have always been the, the, the greatest blessings, that those who've been the broken bread are the ones that feed the multitude of hungry. But here's a man who says he's never been broken, never suffered, never lived in any kind of sin, grew up and just was perfect. I don't even, that, that doesn't even relate to me. That's like living on another planet. I don't understand it. Yet I trusted him and I did not look down upon him. 
And I'm not saying this to try to tear down an individual or a church. I'm trying to tear down all that is false. And that whole church system is false. They go in there and they hoopla and they sing other people's songs and they get all excited and they make a bunch of noise and they drum up the emotions. It's all soul Christianity. It's not spirit Christianity. I remember this one black man who was in our Bible study and I could just see him. One day I had a conversation with him and one day he heard me sharing in the Bible study and he came up after and wanted to talk to me and he was so sad. He, he said, he said, brother Michael, I don't understand. He said, when I see these folk outside of this church, they don't live nothing like what they act like in this church. He said, they don't look like Jesus anymore when I see him outside of this church. This is like a 65-year-old black man admitting that the folks that he sees in the church, the church is so proud because it's multiracial. You go in and it's got all the colors of heaven in there. It doesn't matter how many colors you have or don't have inside the church. If you don't have holiness, if it isn't being preached, if you're not preaching the whole truth and you're walking right up to the line and stopping short, you are not a church. It doesn't matter how many different races you got in there. You're not pleasing God. God doesn't look at race. He looks at the heart. God looks to see, are you obeying me? God loves the man who does what pleases him and obeys his commands. So people give all this thousands of dollars. Meanwhile, little guys like Michael just barely get by all over the world. And yet we give ourselves selflessly. And look, I haven't needed a $9,000 a month light bill. I survived off of $50,000 last year supporting myself in seven years. If somebody doesn't join me in indignation towards that, if somebody doesn't want to shut the mouths of those who ask me, Michael, how are you going to monetize this? Shut the mouths of those people who say, well, you got to have a bunch of money. You got to take up offerings. You got to have these, you know, this drive and this thing and this, that, and the other to raise a bunch of money and do all this kind of stuff. Do you? Did Jesus need a bunch of money to be fruitful? Did the disciples need money to be fruitful? Silver nor gold, neither do we have, but that which we have, we give to you. Rise and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter, he doesn't have money. Can't pay the temple tax. Got to go catch a fish and find a four drachma coin in there. Does God need money like all these worldly institution building folk believe that you have to have a ton of money? I mean, is that true? Was the church of Jesus Christ built with money? It took a little money for them to get around and maybe keep their sandals in repair and this, that, and the other, a little bag, and they would probably mostly give it out to other people. But did they need all this money to build some big gargantuan ministry? Well, I tell you, my life stands in judgment and the fruit that God has produced in this little nothing stands in judgment against all these big, gigantic, give me your money houses. Come and visit our programs and look at our $9,000, $10,000 light bill a month. And you don't get near the fruit. Let me tell you something. Imagine if just 12 people in that church got so right with God, so right with God, gave everything to God, total dedication, total surrender, came out of that church, that nonsense. Can you imagine how much fruit God could produce with, with just 12 people in that church that were completely sold out and didn't need a bunch of money and the hoopla and the programs, but they got right with God and the Holy Spirit filled up their life. They wouldn't have to do these false encounter nights and bring in false prophets and have people roll around in the floor and have people pray and act all kinds of stupid None of this stuff would happen. Holiness would take over. The Spirit of Christ would take over. I say this to the shame of not just this church. I say this to the shame of every single mega pastor in the United States. You claim that you knew better than me. You claim that you were farther ahead in the, in the Lord with me. You claim that you've been grown up with daddy, daddy, daddy's pastorate. And now you've built some monster of a man-made institution that you've kicked God out long ago. You run it like a business. I used to be a businessman. I sit in Starbucks and I hear how you talk about your numbers and your body count and all that stuff. You're no different than these, these heathen, godless Egyptian businessmen sitting in the world running these churches like this.
I'll give an account for every single word I say. And you have the gall to say of somebody like poor little me who decided to take God seriously and give him everything or nothing and say, I'm not only wrong, I'm dead wrong. Who's wrong now? 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. End of commentary. January 30th, 2.04 p.m. I had a wonderful meeting with Tom. Um, I basically sat him down and said, let me speak first. And I said, I need to know if you and I are going to have a relationship going forward that you're here talking with me today of your own free will, meaning that nobody else has put you up to this. And he said, no, I'm here to talk to you of myself. And I, uh, I basically did a, a small little talk and said, look, here's here's the thing. My parents... You know, they think I'm mentally ill because they're comparing my circumstances to my faith in God. And they fail to make the connection to the fact that this is what real biblical faith looks like. If you compare to any of the disciples, Jesus Christ, Joseph, Paul, Peter, I mean, any of them, they all went through a stripping and their contentment and their faith and their peace in the in the face of those circumstances is is the greatest testament of their true discipleship and their true faith. So in this day and age in our American society, if your finances aren't working and you don't have a perfect little comfy life, people make the mistake of saying, well, God must not be with you because you're suffering. And on the contrary, this is amazing how the devil flips this around because it's those that suffer, not at the hands of themselves. If you're doing stupid stuff and you suffer, shame on you. But if you're doing right and you're surrendered to God and you're living a life of holiness and, and dependence upon God and righteousness before Him and you're going to suffer as a result of you know losing things and people and relationships and some comfort in your life and persecutions, well, then you're blessed, the Bible says. And, and you shouldn't be surprised, Peter says, this fiery trial has come upon you as if something strange is happening for you know that your brothers around the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings and after you've suffered for a little while the Lord will once again strengthen you and lift you back up so had a great conversation with him but he did say look he did the one thing he did say is concern about going extreme and then turning around and judging other people that um he didn't directly say that he was concerned I was doing that, that he was concerned that that could happen, that, you know, I'm in an attempt to live a godly life, turn around and become like a Pharisee or a Sadducee and pointing out all the wrongs of other people. And I can understand how he could, you know, people do have a tendency to go to extremes like that. And I just reassured him that this has nothing to do with me trying to judge other people but I'm certainly judging other people's fruit. This is what Jesus told me to do. And I'm confronting people and saying, look, you can't live like this. Don't fool yourself into believing you're a Christian if you're okay to live in sin. If you feel like you're okay to live in sin, you must not have the Spirit of Christ in you. You've grieved Him so much He's left. You've sealed your conscience as with a hot iron. So anyhow, I'm kind of all over the place, but the bottom line I want to capture is that 
basically shared the whole thing and, and he also said he was concerned about me being alone. I said, I'm not alone, but I have had a long period of solitude as with many people in the Bible. Pointed out all the people in the Bible that had many times in their life where they were alone for the purposes of being trained or stripped. And um, I said, man, God's got me. So it ended up being a wonderful conversation. We moved away from that and I said, look, man, just trust me. Just trust the Lord. You know, he's got me. And if I make a if I'm making a mistake here, then he'll redirect. But right now, he's showing me he's with me. So it was just wonderful, and we want to continue to meet. And uh, he even opened up to me at one point and agreed with a lot of what I said about our culture today and the comfortability and how his it's 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 generated some complacency in his own life. There, him and his wife are wanting to take a you know missionary trip of some sorts because. They've gotten complacent in their comfortable little life. Their life is so comfortable. So he's like, you know, I agree with you on that. So anyhow, it was all good. So I tried to do an 84-minute recording in the woods about why I've left my church. Um, my battery goes dead. I start feeling a little down about it, just like, you know, Lord, I don't know if this is going well. I don't know if this is what you want me to do. I just started feeling kind of negative, and I I couldn't tell, you know, is this spiritual warfare, you know, that Satan want me to not put this out there, or am I getting ahead of God on this, and should I do it differently, should I do it at all? <clears throat> I get in the car, trying to pull out on the interstate or on the highway, I have to wait literally five minutes, the, the work traffic going across this mountain is crazy, and it's just hundreds of cars going in each direction, when I finally get to pull out on the road, I pull out behind a a big truck, and I notice what looks like a 919 on the back of the license plate. So I speed up. Hundreds of cars passing by. I just happened to get behind this one. I speed up, and sure enough, it's 919. I get to the bottom of the hill, and I'm parked right behind the truck. I look down. It's 511. It's like a combined message of stay put and persevere. Numbers 919 and James 511. But then I begin to say, Father, I don't know what that means. What are you asking me to persevere for? You don't want me to say anything about what I just recorded? Do you want me, to, am I supposed to, am I going to be getting a job offer thing here? Do you, you not want me saying anything? So I'm, I'm really trying to figure out why God has been showing me 919 so much the last three days. I mean, isn't it interesting? I just made a recording about this this morning. And then out of hundreds of possible cars passing by, I end up in front of the one that's got 919. So I'm desperately waiting to see what the Lord is telling me here.